This is a show about content marketing for established, sophisticated online businesses. Unlike other shows about marketing, we focus on sustainable, measurable content creation, how to authentically automate your marketing to build up your know, like, and trust factor with a nurtured, engaged audience between launches, and get back to actually living your life instead of working to live. Hey, hey, friends. Today, we're going to be talking about how to move from nice to have to must have. Yes, and how to use your content to get you there with your audience. Now, I'm going to start with a little caveat. I sound a little bit like a trucker right now, and that's not my normal world here. So a little life update on Brittany. I just finished two weeks of back-to-back traveling, three separate trips, a day in between each of them. Yes, my kids were like, oh, do we have a mom? Is that real? But my last trip, the third one, that one was supposed to be entirely for pleasure. And it was. I had a great time. I went wine tasting up in Yakima, Washington with some girlfriends. And we had a lovely time where I unfortunately think I discovered I'm allergic to hops. Yes, that thing they put in beer. Now, I've never been a fan of IPAs. I'm more of a sour girl. But finding out I'm actually allergic to hops when you're literally in the middle of all the hops farms everywhere, and it's just walls and walls of really pretty green vines, not a great way to find out you still have seasonal allergies after thinking you haven't had them for 10 years. So I am recording this on, yes, the last possible day I can record this and still get it edited in time to uh, produce on schedule. And there we have it. There's my life update. And since I'm uh, really diving into the personal stories here, I'm going to tell you right up front, this episode's going to have a few more of them. It's a personal episode because for me to talk about how to move from nice to have to must have, I have some personal stories that are really going to help drive that point home. Now, between two of the stories, I'm going to tell you how it relates to marketing because yes, this is still a marketing podcast. And then at the end, I'm going to close the loop. I'm going to relate it to content or or at least I'm going to relate it to good content and what great content should do for your business. Because at its heart, great content gets your head nodding. It gets your head nodding so vigorously that you can't help but get what they're selling, even if it's not a product, but simply an idea. Because here's the thing, we need to get to that care level to move from nice to have to must have. And sometimes we're not very great at moving people off of social platforms and into our own worlds, aka, you know, out of the uh, rented land territory. And the reason we're not good at that is because we haven't gotten to that care level yet. So with that, Let's hop into the first story. My first story here is about my five-year-old schooling, which, by the way, has been an object of consternation for me for a solid nine months. I'm going to give you a quick download on my life situation here. He is a wonderful child. He's charming and he's brilliant and he's hilarious, but he's got some stuff going on. He's got a pretty severe speech disorder. He's got anxiety, which will later be diagnosed as OCD, I'm sure. And he has some sensory issues. And with all of that, we've had some trouble with how to educate him. You know, I don't think he's going to be successful in a classroom of 26 kindergartners. And I also don't want to homeschool him because I really do enjoy working. And I think I'm going to have to make some serious decisions around how all that works, right? So what's best for me is not necessarily what's best for him. And neither of those are what's best for my family. This isn't a Venn diagram where you have a you know, handsomely, cleverly overlapping middle area that serves the best of all purposes. This is one of those situations where no decision is the perfect decision. And thus, I have 
labored over it for a solid nine months. I have talked to everyone, his care coordinator with early childhood development. I've talked with homeschooling experts. I've talked with other moms I know that have dealt with similar situations. I've talked with his current occupational therapist and former and his current speech therapist. And my goodness, if you aren't feeling a little bit stressful, consider yourself lucky after hearing all that. I say all of this because I want to make it very clear. I really think about every decision deeply. And not everyone does. Some people are very verbal processors. I am an internal processor. And I spend a lot of non-available hours thinking about my clients' problems as a result of that. And how does this relate to business? Well, this is kind of like every other business decision. There's not always a perfect decision. You're often going to be weighing several different things at one time like this. So I want to tell you in a very business sense now about viewing a recent sales page, really two different sales pages. I got emails from two people I trust very much, one whose membership I did join and one whose membership I did not. And I want to explain These are people I've followed for years, people I respect. They do really good work. They each put out a membership offer at theoretically a great time for me to decide to come into it. And in both of these cases that happened within a month or two of each other, they sent an email out to me and I'm on their list, of course. They sent an email out and the one-liner or so in the email, it hooked me. It grabbed me. Care level, up and through the roof. But in one of these cases, I got to the sales page and, um, you know, I floundered. I was like, I was so hot to pay. I was ready to pull the credit card out. I was ready to do all the things. I was ready to carve out time in my schedule. And yet, when I got to the sales page, after being so excited, I was just kind of like, meh, is this really for me? Now, that's one of them. The other one I did join. And... You know, it was fine. I still wasn't jazzed by the sales page, by the way. I still wasn't like, oh my gosh, this page makes me want it. I was pre-sold on the idea. But that second one, I was pre-sold on the idea and still didn't join. Why? It all comes down to caring. If you didn't gather based on my very personal story about my son's schooling, I care. I care far too much. I care a lot and I care deeply. So now I'm going to share another personal story. At a recent uh, personal development event that I attended, we did an exercise where we were facing people and they had to write an affirmation about us and we them after having spent several weeks together. And then we rotated spaces and we ended up with six different affirmations about ourselves. Except I did not end up with six different affirmations. (laughs) They were basically all the same. They each said some version of, I really know myself or I'm strong. And the most common in both words and intent, I'm honest. Now, I won't lie. I know I'm blunt. I've said it many a time on the show, but I didn't have the best reaction. I don't feel strong most of the time. And that's me getting super vulnerable, super vulnerable there. I know I'm honest, but you know, I sometimes I just wonder if people perceive honest as strong when I believe those who appear strongest usually feel the most deeply and that feeling is not always strong. So I say this all to tell you that when I say I care, please believe me, I care so much that sometimes it hurts. And when I tell you that I am viewing a sales page that should, for all intents and purposes, be something that resonates and it's not making me care, that is a problem. 
That is a big problem because that sales page is supposed to connect with you. It is supposed to make you feel and care and yearn. So if it's not doing that, it's failing. And I'm talking about sales pages here, but please understand this is all content that I am talking about. Okay, that was personal story number one. Now we're going to move on to personal story number two, aka existential crisis number two, because that's kind of how I felt about it for the last, you know, couple years at least. So I moved from MailerLite as my email service provider to Drip just a couple months ago. And when I did that, I did some housekeeping, shall we say. I sent out an email to my entire list that basically asked my people to self-categorize themselves. Are you a service provider? Are you a course creator? Are you a service provider who also offers courses? Or are you neither and just really like seeing my emails, right? So this data, it gave me permission to recognize something because a lot of people did click the link and it gave me a lot of information. I'm a data person. I love diving into the numbers. But this particular piece of information gave me an opportunity to recognize something that I already deeply felt, which is I like working with service providers. Dun, dun, dun. I don't really get not wanting to provide a service because I like that intimate work with people. It's no surprise. I lean towards introvert, right? But I've always felt the need to say that I serve course creators because they have a greater audience need. And I am with content talking about building an audience that knows, likes, and trusts you. I also, however, really like course creators who still provide a one-to-one or consulting service. They're like a nice sweet spot for me. They're people who like to serve intimately, but they also have that option to serve one-to-many with courses. Here's the problem, and this is where I get back to the data. My people who do services don't identify as service providers. Oh my goodness, that is a problem because I can't just say, hey, service providers or hey, online business owners, because my people don't identify as that. And my people who do that and also provide courses, they don't identify as course creators. So when it comes to writing the, you know, social media bio, I help blank with blank. I'm kind of back to the drawing board. I'm back to not fitting in a box, which is great because you know, it's kind of like my life. I have never really fit in the box. Online service business isn't a term most people resonate with, not even me, but they are my people. My people are people who want to get their clients online. My people know the dangers of building their businesses on rented land, as we already talked about, and they want to do content differently, but they don't know where to start. They're content rebels, as it were. Those are my people, but that is a mouthful and that is not something that fits in your, you know, standard short character Instagram bio or LinkedIn blurb, right? And those people, those people I just described, they often do something as a service. The last few months for me, that's been a grant writer, a therapist, an app developer, and a website designer. And yet none of those people, they don't identify with online service business. They don't define themselves that way. In fact, When I first sent that segmenting email, someone replied that they didn't feel like any of the options were true of them, even though I know that person offers done-for-you services and has a membership. So case in point, I have data here. I have data that resonates with me, but I don't know what to do with it. You know, so like what gives? I talked about this situation a couple of months ago in a business group that I'm in. And, you know, something came up. There was a conversation with several really good 
colleagues that I respect and I'm not going to name them because I didn't ask for permission and that's kind of crappy, you know? So, you know, if you want to talk about it with me later, I'm happy to. But um, there were more than one people in this group that said, I feel this deeply. I feel what you are describing as this problem. All this data from my email cleaning, this nice to have versus must have is what really gave this whole episode that title. Because someone in that group specifically said, I'm in the same boat as you, Brittany. I feel like my services are important. I know that you, Brittany, think they're important. I know that most of the people in this group would say they're important. And yet, I still feel like I'm in a nice to have category and not a must have category. And we started talking about it. We started talking about why that happens. So before I get to the why, and before I close this whole thing by relating it to how to make really epic, great content, I want to tell you a third story. And with this, we're going to talk about the recent Southwest Airlines Armageddon over the holiday season this past year. This is our third story, and this one's not so personal, and you probably have at least seen things about it, but I'm going to give you the easy synopsis here. There was a systems breakdown because Southwest Airlines has had a great run from Herb Kelleher, former CEO. I think he's like the third past CEO at this point. He built that airline into what it is today, and he did it by being lean. He had great customer service. And, you know, whether you like flying Southwest or not, they've got really good things going. People genuinely have a good attitude towards them. But he stepped down, and there was a new CEO that took his place. And I don't even remember his name. And frankly, I don't really want to remember his name. He's the one that caused all the problems because he decided to cut costs. He decided to not spend money on anything that didn't have a direct tie to ROI, to profit and dollars. Frankly, he started running it like all the other airlines that we all hate. And anything that wasn't cost-cutting and running lean was not done. So Southwest was still running on the same reservations system that they implemented in the early 90s. And just for a little, you know, trip down memory lane here... The early 90s was not exactly um, technologically advanced compared to today, 30 years later. Yes, if I aged you by saying that the early 90s was 30 years ago, I apologize, but that is the actual truth. I don't believe most people had computers in their homes in the early 90s, for example. Most people did not have internet at all. A lot of people didn't even know what internet was. So they were using this very antiquated reservation system and when there was this massive you know, polar vortex over the entire United States, North America actually really, and it started over here in my neck of the woods in Oregon. We had an ice storm two days before Christmas. My mother was due to fly in for the holidays at 9 p.m. Her flight got canceled at 5. It was very unfortunate. No, she was due to fly in at 5. Her flight got canceled earlier in the day. The ice storm didn't hit till 9 that night. She could have made it, but they didn't want their planes getting stuck here, and I get that. The problem was she couldn't get booked until the following Tuesday, two days after Christmas. And by that point, Southwest had completely melted down. Their system could not find the right crew for the right airport, for the right plane. Nothing was working. And it was such a like mass of, of data, kind of like those DDoS attacks that bring down websites, right? There was so much going on, they could not compute. So instead of you know running, and I'm making up numbers here, 2,000 flights a day, they were really only getting like 50 or 100 out a day because that's all their system could handle with the mass chaos that ensued. And all of that happened because they didn't have proper systems in place. So Southwest Airlines, formerly one of my favorites, not only ruined my mom's actual Christmas with us, 
it canned the entire trip because she had two separate flights that got canceled from them over the situation. And when she finally was able to get on the phone two days later after the second canceled flight, because that's when the hold times finally allowed her to, they couldn't book her for another week. And as a teacher, she couldn't take that time because she would have only had like, you know, a day visit with us. It just didn't make sense to come. That was Southwest Armageddon. And if you want to know how that relates to everything we're talking about here, nice to have versus must have. Starting scrappy is okay, but you can't stay that way forever. And I will link you to a past episode where I talk about that exact topic. But where it comes with this conversation I was having with friends in my business group is when you are talking about nice to have versus must have, you're talking about different market segments. And Southwest during this cost cutting time period was serving its very current only needs, not its future needs. And I see this with service providers and course creators, whether they identify with those titles or not, I see this all the time. They are busy and you know, they're busy in different ways, right? Service providers have a pipeline and you know, they might only be working with three or four or five clients at a time, maybe even up to 10 but they have a serious capacity issue. They cannot work more than the hours that they have in a day. And that is okay. That is a valid business model. You do not have to scale constantly. But the course creator businesses, solo course creators, they're not doing services, right? Their primary goal is audience building, whereas a service provider business is keeping a warm pipeline ready for when they do have an opening. They're busy in different ways. They're using content in different ways, but where they are similar is that they don't take content or any nice to have category seriously because they can do it themselves. Design, copy, content. Most online service businesses and course businesses are run by multi-talented people. I will also link to my multi-passionate episode in the show notes for you guys. There is a trap of doing it yourselves when you are multi-talented and multi-passionate. There is a trap because you've done a lot of this stuff, even may, maybe it's not your like may, primary skill set, maybe you're not a copywriter by trade, but you've done a lot of copywriting, for example. You've done all of this stuff to get where you are today. You know, when you were making less than 100 grand a year, you had to do all of this stuff. You didn't have the budget to outsource all of this stuff. Unless you desperately were horrible at it or did not want to touch it with a 10-foot pole, you did it yourself. And because you're probably a multi-talented person, you might be decent at a lot of these other areas. But as we grow, we still have the attitude of that thing over there, it's nice to have because I'm kind of okay at doing it, even when we're growing and maybe shouldn't have that attitude anymore. And for the record, this is only going to get worse with Canva and AI and all the you know AI, SAS, sa service, no, software as a service. That is what I'm saying, services. Because we're entrepreneurs. We can do, and we are can-do people, but just because we can do it all does not mean we should, especially when you're starting to move into what I'm calling the entrepreneurial middle class. These are must-have services when you move solidly into the entrepreneurial middle class. All those things I just said, right? Copywriting, website design, content strategy, project planning, capacity planning, these are all must have activities and services. And when you move into that entrepreneurial middle class, 
That means, you know, you're well beyond being thrilled. You finally pulled in 2200 bucks this month, but maybe you're not nearly at 250 k for the year. That is a lot of online business owners. And a lot of these people, they're still hanging out in that DIY mindset because that's what got them there. And they cap themselves. They're setting themselves up to fail just like Southwest. Now, I care about this. I care about this deeply. I don't want you to face a dead pipeline the day that one of your clients doesn't renew her retainer and you've suddenly lost a third of your income. Part of my own content education battle is knowing that it's my job to educate you on this, but also to convey how much I care about this hidden problem in most of my entrepreneurial friends' lives. Being scrappy serves you to a point. Being scrappy got you to where you are today. And and that's not something to be ashamed of. It's something to celebrate. You've made it this far. But if you only want to make it this far, keep that up. If you want to go further, and I don't mean that you have to scale to seven figures or many multiples of six figures. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you only want to be at the level you're currently at right now with your current problems, your current income, that's okay. It's a valid choice. But if you do want to move beyond that, some of those things you used to think of as nice to have have to start becoming must have. And the only way for you to really, really get this is to learn which things you can still do while making a good amount of money and having time for everything else and putting time into your business. But when it comes to you, when it comes to your business and you personally moving your services in the eyes of your audience from that nice to have to that must have category, this is something you have to get through your head. And I'm, I'm going to re- re- reiterate it here. Uh, great content gets your head nodding. It gets your head nodding so vigorously that you can't help but get what they're selling, even if it's not a product for sale, but simply an idea. So here's the big idea. Great content makes you care. It's what moves your audience from thinking your services might be nice to have into thinking that they are absolutely a must-have. And if you're just getting scrolls and looky-loose on your content, you haven't made them care enough yet. That is your opportunity. That is your opportunity for growth, and that is your opportunity to say, hey, it is time for me to move beyond that Southwest mindset of just cutting costs and running lean and move into the mindset of, I am going to invest in this growth. And as such, while I'm thinking about doing this for my own business, I'm going to be thinking about how I can set myself up to do that in the eyes of my audience as well. So if you want to turn that haven't cared enough yet into a heck yeah, I care, I have decided to open one more done for you space this summer. Yes, just one. I wasn't sure if I was even going to be able to do it, but I want to know, will it be yours? I have the capacity to do that. And I'm telling you, my care level can be transferred onto your business. I would love to do that for you. And if that's something that you would like to do, please hit me up on my website, brittanygardner.com. You know where to find me on all the socials. It's always linked in the show notes. And with that, I will see you guys next week and start giving this voice a rest. Friends, if you made it through the whole episode and you have not heard any of my episodes before, this is your first one, I promise. I normally sound better. Hops, I will be avoiding you in the future, and we will no longer have Brittany Trucker showing up to the No Like and Trust show. See you guys next week. 
If you found value from this episode, there are two things you can do to thank me. The first is share it with a friend. If you enjoyed this episode, you learned something from it, odds are you know somebody who needs to hear this message. I do truly believe that a rising tide lifts all boats. And if you help that friend with something that they need to do, we're going to have less crappy marketers out there, which means less scams, and we get to help more people in those ways that we uniquely are meant to help them. The second thing you can do is leave a rating on whichever podcast app you are listening to the show on right now. Doing that helps me reach more people, getting, again, this same great information out there, and we all make a better, happier, effective, and ethical world as a result. Thanks so much. See you next week.